Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Startup Equity Matters. The topic today is from designer to Atlassian IPO to kind founder, Equity Wins. It's an awesome story of working through entrepreneurship and product design into one of the great tech success stories, certainly Australia's largest tech success story that I know of. Uh, We're going to talk about exits. We're going to talk about founding companies, employee ownership culture, uh, you know, really fantastic opportunity to talk to Ross Choldercott today. Um, As you know, Startup Equity Matters is a podcast to help early stage founders and their teams to get more value from their equity. So today we're going to focus on, um, you know, just learning about like some some cool exits and and like a great journey and and the success that that's brought. I love being able to share these sorts of things with you. So welcome, Ross. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. It's uh, excited to uh, to go along this journey, mate. Um, thanks a lot for joining. Uh, we've caught up a couple of times in the past. I think we we caught up at South Start. Oh, you caught up with my teammate Cal at, at South Start. So. Big shout out to events like that for bringing people together and, and you know, creating that connectivity that we need. You're currently founder um, at Kind. It's K-I-N-D-E for those of you that are, are checking it out. Um, awesome startup. Um, tell us a bit about Kind, mate, and, and what excited you about this problem. The Kind, kind is, um, well, the thing that we do is we, we um, build infrastructure software for developers to help them to accelerate their product development. Um, and and kind is really it's the fulfillment of kind of a life's work if if you like it was a, a problem that I found as a as an early stage founder when I left high school started a business trying to create a few different products and and found that infrastructure was the blocker you know if you if you wanted to get a merchant account this is in the late nineties in South Africa there was no VC going on then there was no real infrastructure around the internet and so just getting a merchant account to be able to sell things on the internet was a total nightmare and bank we went into the bank to discuss it with them and it was like blank faces all around they had no <laughs> idea what we were even talking about um, and so I kind of you know after seven years of banging my head against infrastructure problems decided it was time to get a real job. Uh, went out and did a bunch of things and was fortunate to land at Atlassian. And in my Atlassian time, I saw the same problem. Infrastructure was a problem. You know, it was it was hard to do payments. It was hard to change uh, payment plans. Um, we needed whole teams to manage identity and authentication. And and it just seemed like this was abnormally hard when you know you had these big companies that were growing so fast, having to manage what was just fundamentally commoditized infrastructure, not anything useful for the company. It wasn't anything that was accelerating our growth. It was just something that we needed in order to operate as a company. And then, you know, Campaign Monitor after that, which is you know another great place to work in Australia, another great Australian company. And then fortunate again to land at Shopify. And again at Shopify, you know, this is one of the companies that enables just about, you know, I think it's 50% of the, of the retailers on the internet at this point, mm. um, having these same infrastructure problems. We were, we had a team of a few hundred people dealing with identity, another team dealing with auth, another team dealing with billing. And, you know, if you wanted to make a change to a, to a billing plan, uh, you had to go and engage an engineer and get them to do that work for you. Yeah. Um, and, and it just seemed like madness. Uh, it seemed like I'd been sitting around waiting for somebody to solve this infrastructure problem so I could really easily go and build products on top of it. Awesome. And no one was doing it. And so kind is is kind of the result of that. We wanted to solve that problem. Love it. Love it. And is it something very unique in the way that you're solving it? Or is it more just the fact that you're actually solving this problem and otherwise it's been, you know, just a big mess um, previously? 
I mean, it is to a large extent a big mess. There are companies that solve verticalized pieces of it. So you've got auth providers, you've got yep. billing providers, you've got feature flagging providers. Um, the thing that we think is really interesting is not so much each one of those individual verticalized um, commoditized products, but really when you bring them together. And so the thing that Kind is is trying to achieve is not just giving you access to really great auth out the box and really great um, billing and feature flagging, but helping you to do those all in one single place. So if you think about compound products, compound products are already, I believe, the future there. When you bring together a bunch of disparate products, you actually gain a real, real technology and inside advantage because you get all the data from those different products and you can do really, really powerful things by bringing those pieces of data together. And so we really think about the future is helping our businesses not just to do the technical side, but actually helping them to grow as businesses, helping them to better understand their customers, better understand how their business is performing, uh, look for insights, look for opportunities and grow, grow, you know, substantially faster than they can today. Love that. Love that. And you've just, I'm going I'm to add an extra question in today because I know you're such like a great product mind and design mind. Um, but just before I do that, who is the you know, user or customer that you're currently really focused on at Kind? There are kind of three key audiences that we talk to, but the primary one is engineers. So we really think very heavily about how do we make engineers' lives um, just way, way, way better? How do we make it easy to set up, easy to get started, uh, easy to use the tool and make it somewhere that they can fall in love with? And that's kind of the the high level of just about all the feedback that we receive is mm. I just love this product. It's so simple. You've taken something that was that was really hard to do, really kludgy and really horrible, and you've made it really easy. And that's that's kind mm. of the greatest praise that you can get. But then we also think about um CTOs, people who are running engineering teams, people who are building products. And a lot of the thing we hear from those people is um, you know, why are we paying so much for this infrastructure? It seems crazy that we're paying so much for auth. Um, and the current providers, you know, they they are really going a lot more up market and and therefore charging substantially more. And they're starting to miss that fair value exchange. And we really think heavily about how can we make this a fair value exchange? How can we make this a product that is that is the right fair cost for what we're actually charging for it? Um, and then the third market we talk to is early stage founders, people who are starting businesses, um, growing businesses, you know, trying to create that impact in the world. And really, you know, those founders will hopefully go on to become the leaders of organizations that have both engineers and technical leaders within them. And so we really think about how do we build as much community around it? Our purpose in, in, in life as a company is to create a world with more founders because we believe that pe- that founders are the people that lead to all of that additional growth. They're also the people that make the biggest impact on the world. You know, if you think about all the biggest technology, humanity, um, economic and, and, um, and environmental changes that have really improved our lot in life as a, as a species, just about all of those have come from founders, people crazy enough to go and start crazy things. And so we really think about those three groups as we're building this company. So cool. So for any of you out there, if you have any of these problems, think Ross is solving this and he has incredible experience in product and design and he's trying to price it fairly for you. So I highly recommend checking that out. You touched on two things that we care so passionately about at Cake as well, which is fair value, you know, creating a product and pricing it correctly for the stage and and for what that company can afford. Big believers in that at Cake. And you know, we're 
tremendous supporters that innovation entrepreneurship can change the world for the better so absolutely love hearing that that mission and you know for those founders out there as well finding a way to connect what you're doing into something very meaningful for you and your team that's authentic is is a really critical insight there as well so um look i do need to get back onto the equity side of things it's because it's called startup equity matters i'm <laughs> sure i could enjoy some product chat um more but let, let's do that so Tell us about your journey. It is an interesting journey. Um, just a little bit. We've touched on a, a few of the companies you've worked at, but your origin story is quite interesting to me because you started off as an entrepreneur and, and working with your father. And I love, for me, I saw like kind of a direct line almost of, you know, that being central to you end up ending up in, in Atlassian, which was just like obviously such a, you know, career and, and life defining phase. <laughs> totally. Um, so, oh, yep. Yeah, so you you were telling me a bit like right back in the day, you sort of went straight out of school. Was it into almost product design and and entrepreneurship? Was that was that true? Essentially, yeah. I mean, I was I was kind of bundling around looking for something to do when I finished high school, and and my dad was kind of in the in the mood for starting something new, and so it just made sense for us to to start this thing together. And so we started trying to build, you know. We started doing, you know, just basic website building for companies, and and just being a you know developers on call and 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 helping people to to realize things that they had. But then we realized as well there was great opportunity. So, um, you know, we we tried building kind of an early Shopify marketplace type of thing. Uh, we 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 built an early Ticketmaster type of thing, um, and 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 realized that it was. Yeah, you know, that there was great opportunity to be had there, but the infrastructure just wasn't there at that point, especially in South Africa. If you think about ticketing, um, ticketing at that point really relied on physical printed tickets. There were no iPhones, so people couldn't turn up at an event with an iPhone and, and scan a barcode. That's and right. so it was about physical tickets. And and so you've got to build all this infrastructure to actually deliver those tickets to people to actually get them to them. And postage is, uh, if, if you know anything about South Africa, postage in South Africa doesn't work. The postal system is basically non-existent. Um, and so you had to use couriers to get tickets to people and started to become a really cost prohibitive thing to do. Mm. Um, and so, you know, there were just so many roadblocks to try to trying to build this. We tried damn hard. Um, and it was an awesome experience. And I'd say, you know, I grew probably more from doing that than at any point previous, you know, Besides maybe Atlassian and Shopify, yeah, that was definitely the biggest growth opportunity of of my life. Is when you start off as as a leader of a company, and, and instead of just kind of going through the typical run, you kind of have this crazy accelerated uh, learning cycle that that you go through um, that most game. people don't don't experience. I had Stuart Cook on the other day, you know, and he had an ESOP exit as well, you know, different product, different journey, but he'd gone very early out into sales. And so he went, you know, into that sales entrepreneurship and you kind of went into whether it be marketing, product design, sales, all of it in one, you know, much more with the technology slant. But the the big insight that I get from it, and that maybe that's just my mindset, is that, you know, having that entrepreneurial, having all those lessons early on, you know, and pitting yourself against the world and not just slotting into a job uh -huh. and, and a pay packet can help you accelerate your career and get you into those roles where you're leading. Uh, mm -hmm. So let's let's take it on then to Atlassian where it, like was product management even a role when you started there? Like did that even exist? Because I feel like it's, it's a very recent phenomenon. Um, so how did it all start there? 
So I I joined, we were a company of 280 odd people at the point where I joined. Um, I was the fourth designer in the company. Um, and and we were a pretty fledgling design team, kind of making it up as 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 we went along. And um, but then you know, that was really, I'd say one of those big starting points for Atlassian to hit that hyper growth phase. And so by the time I left four and a half years later, we were a company of 1500 people. Um, the, the, the company looked totally different that, you know, the, the team that I joined when I joined the company, which was the Jira team, I was the, I was a designer of one on that product. Um, and by the time I left, I had a team of almost 30 people working on that product, um, wow. just in it from a design capacity. And that so blows my mind, you know, we really different. Got- yeah. We've only got 30 people at cake and we think we're growing fast and we are, but like yeah. it's crazy to think of that scale going from 280 to 1500 and really, really hyperscaling through, through that phase. Um, you know, wonderful experience. Yeah. And did you get equity straight away? Were they, were they straight on to the whole, you know, ESOP thing right from, from day one? So, I mean, I, I joined a few years into the company, but yes, I got equity granted day one and, and it was, it was kind of a weird thing because. It was in you know, back then. Nobody spoke about equity. Nobody thought about equity. It was it was just like this piece of paper that I got when I joined the company that said we're going to grant you X number of shares. And it was like, okay, that sounds cool. I don't really get it, but fine. Um, but you know, at least I get my pay packet every every month, and and so that was great. Um, and you know, there were a few people that had when they first issued the equity. I think fairly shortly before I joined. Um, They'd, they'd done it with, with t-shirts to everybody because the last in is t-shirt mad. Um, that said, I'm an owner. And there were all these people walking around with I'm an owner t-shirts. And I was like, that's a pretty cool t-shirt, but I don't really understand what it means. And it was only really later on at the point where, um, we were just pre IPO. Um, and they brought in an external investor to, um, to offer people a buyout on some of their shares that I realized that actually what I had there was actually worth something because they, they told us, you know, you can get X amount per share. Um, and, and I kind of just for a laugh, went to go look at what I had, um, uh, expecting it to be, you know, oh, it's going to be a, you know, maybe we'll go on a vacation with this money and suddenly realizing that this money would, would potentially be life changing. Fortunately, I didn't sell any of it at that point, waited till the IPO because that was already. I was already potentially life-saving and then yeah. I guess by the IPO um things were even better so look love love hearing that love hearing that and so you know so you you went through a 5x period during that period um how many years were you there before the IPO uh four and a half years and I actually left a month before the IPO um to to join campaign monitor which was an awesome move but I missed all the big parties it didn't change my equity situation <laughs> really but it, but it meant that I missed the IPO parties Really glad to hear it didn't change your equity situation. Yes. I think sometimes leaving a company can have a very negative effect, and and that's something that we all need to keep learning about is is mm-hmm. how to make sure we protect our teams um, that have been there through the journey and make sure they get yeah. you they know the get, get involved in the success. Yeah. So um, look, it's it's this is you know one of the most successful tech events, you know, financial events in Australian history. And I'm really excited to be able to learn about this and share this with everyone. So let's try and, you know, dig into this a little bit. Um, So I guess we've talked a bit about the granting. We've talked a bit about the moment where you really sort of started to to value this thing and, and realize what it could be worth. What, so did they give you an opportunity to exit at that point and say there was like, we call that a secondary in the industry, um, did they tell you that there was a secondary opportunity at that point, and then you could opt in or opt out? Is that how that worked? Yes, essentially. 
Um, so we had that opportunity to sell you know, a portion that would be a percentage of our shares. Um, and I, I looked at it and said, this is good money, but it feels like there's big potential. I just had such a strong belief in Atlassian. Still do. I think it's one of the greatest companies um, in existence. And I think it has the opportunity, you know, the, the ability to continue to grow and scale at the way it, in the way that it, in exactly the same way that it has to date. That's wow. um, <laughs> so cool. But, it was, but it, so I was just like, no, nah, I'm going to hang on to this. I don't know if this is the right thing to do. Who could say? Um, but you know, Mike and Scott are just such great leaders. I had I had a lot of faith in them and their ability to to drive us forward. And I just thought it's going to be worthwhile hanging on to these shares. And thankfully, I did. Amazing decision. And um, how did they? I mean, from your memory, how did they help you? We call it like equity story. Did did they help you kind of understand where you were, where you were going? Were there updates in the all hands? I mean, what sort of communication? do you remember during that phase and leading up to the IPO to, to help you understand where you were and, and to give you confidence that that you know that everything was under control um I mean the IPO is a is a difficult thing because it's not something that that companies pub, going public can actually talk all that much about yeah. so the majority of it was actually fairly closely guarded and and guarded by a relatively small team yeah. um we knew that at some point we were going to ipo from the point that they brought in rich wong um and the team at excel we knew that there was going to be an ipo coming because that was kind of the point but when that was going to actually happen was a very you know closely guarded thing and you only really find out that it's happening once the the roadshow kicks off so um, so, you know, we knew we had equity from that point that they did the secondary. We knew that there was going to be opportunity potentially to, to, you know, for, for us to do well and for that IPO to happen. But beyond that, it was a fairly closely held thing mm-hmm. uh, until the point where we were, we were, you know, going public with that and, and telling the world about it. So, um, was yeah, that, it was, was that a long period from when the roadshow starts until the listing? How do you? Do you remember that? I mean, that might be too much detail, I suppose, for where you were sitting. Um, it was all fairly blurry at that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. I would have paid, you know, now knowing what I know in the world, I would have paid a hell of a lot more attention to it. Um, but yeah, I seem to remember it was a fairly long, it was certainly a long period b- between, you know, Rich and the Excel team uh, taking out their investment in the company and us actually going to IPO. Um, you know, was there another basically. was there another secondary opportunity before the IPO, or was it kind of now? No, there was just that one. And we're um, going into the yeah, the big listing together. That's right. Yeah, and then of course you know that all happens, and then as an as an insider, you get locked down. You can't actually sell anything for for the first six months anyway. So it was kind of anticlimactic. You could see that there was some money there. It was exciting to see it grow. It was exciting to see the company booming. Um, but you can't actually do anything about it, uh, you know, as an insider for the first while. And were there were there many of you? Like, what was the vibe like within the company? I mean, I know you just missed the IPO, but I guess you still had that whole period where it was really becoming real. I mean, this is kind of, I think, a common story for exits. You get a piece of paper on day one yeah. and you don't have any idea. I mean, mm-hmm. worst case scenario, you're actually thinking, oh, do I have a tax problem? Like, you're actually, you know, I've seen regularly team members like stressed and, complaining that they even have to deal with it or they might getting my pay deducted. So like, you know, it's it's some sort of like neutral to, you know, not so cool thing to have initially. But then as the company succeeds, I feel like the excitement and and the the realness of it must must develop within the organization. Do you remember, you know, how how that sort of felt and went within within your peers there? 
I mean, it's it's not something you're thinking about day to day, right? You're building a company, you're you're your heads down building product. So mm. the majority of our time is not spent thinking about your know, oh, of course not. Rich. But, <laughs> but, but, but I'm sure Scott and uh, Mike would have been very pissed if you were just <laughs> wandering around the halls exactly. talking about your ESOP the whole yeah. time. <laughs> but I mean, I, I will say there's a, the kind of the standout moment is the all hands where they got us all together to tell us that the IPO was happening, yeah. and like we had no, we didn't know if it was happening. People had suspicions that it was going to be happening. Gotcha. Um, and so it was it was a, a pretty awesome moment to to go into that all hands, knowing that there was some important message going to be going out, um, yeah. but not knowing what it was, and then to have them actually announcing, hey, we're going public. Um, that was a that was a pretty big moment and a pretty standout moment, and definitely a, you know a big big time for celebration in the team. Very cool. As a founder, I can't wait to you know provide yeah. those those life changing moments, whether it be major or minor. But I think you know. In startup land, in with tech success, we have a massively outsized ability to to create financial wealth for our teams, mm-hmm. and um, I'm sure that the leadership team of Atlassian, you know, really enjoyed you know being able to you know to help their teams in that way and share in the success. There's a bit of an ongoing joke that the whole of Surrey Hills house prices went up <laughs> <Yes>. 50% after <laughs> that exit, and yeah. and I guess long may those successes continue because. Um, you know, quite often that then leads to further regeneration and, and further success in the startup space, uh, you know, as people go on to found their own companies and become angel investors and or, you know, just go and and invest their, you know, their newfound wealth in, in their communities for mm-hmm. their families. And we just absolutely love seeing that. And it's not always in countries like Australia either. These days you can have global ESOPs and, and some of that wealth going, you know, all around the world where otherwise it would totally not be achievable. So, yeah. Look, thanks so much for sharing that. I won't harp on it too much. Um, you've actually had two exits, which is ultra impressive. Um, you've also had a, some liquidity from your Shopify. So after Atlassian, it was Campaign Monitor and then Shopify. Is that right? And and there was some liquidity there. So congrats yes. again. Maybe share a little bit, you know, with with the listeners on on how that all went down or a little what? bit of that. There's there's nothing more. I mean, it's awesome to get equity, but there's nothing more awesome than joining a company that's already public, um, because then that all that equity that you get promised actually has value, um, and so it's a it's a really easy decision uh, to join that company when you know that. And you know, a company like Shopify, you can again, like I have insane amounts of belief in Shopify and its ability to do great things. Toby's a great leader. I believe the company's a great company. And when I joined, we were already at the the starting point of of that equity growth. And and so there's nothing more awesome than when you join a company and you can see, you know, the value in the in the thing that you're getting issued. Um, and t- to me, it was, you know, it was actually one of the smartest things I've ever did, which was say, actually give me a lower paycheck so that I can get more equity. Um, and that's what me, you know, paid out very well in the end and was definitely worth doing so yeah it's there's there's something very cool about joining uh you know an already public company everyone should do it sometime in their life especially a company that's as generous as shopify is and i think that's that's a lot of what we took in you know both the learnings from atlassian and the learnings from shopify is a lot of what we thought about when we were building kind is how do you know I've had big benefit from being a part of these companies. How do we create that same sort of, well, a same sort of gem- generational company, a hundred year business? Um, and a big part of that is you create a team of people that have strong, strong ownership in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also whose culture and values align very heavily to the one that we're creating in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, a, a, a company is, nothing more than just a collection of people with a shared vision and shared set of values. And so if we can give them something to aspire to, 
Um, if we can, you know, if we can help them to understand that the value that they create and the work that they do will directly contribute to their future potential, their future opportunity to grow and their future opportunity to thrive in this world, then that's a really, really great thing that we can do. And that's the thing that's going to allow us to create a company that's going to be here in 10, 20, 100 years time is by creating that culture and that culture based on shared success. We actually have a value, um, which is, um, yeah, we have two values. One is the company of giants, uh, which is about growing our people and, and making sure that we help to make everybody within the company bigger. And the other one is to create a bigger pie, which is about we take the kind cake, of bigger cake, bigger yeah, cake. Big, oh, okay, today. we'll say bigger cake. <laughs> but if if we all instead of focusing on what is my slice of the pie or my slice of the cake and trying to make <laughs> that the biggest slice of that cake that I can possibly get, just try and make the biggest possible cake that we can. We can create. <laughs> yeah. And then each of our, each of our slices of cake is going to be uh, exponentially bigger. Oh, um, and that. so, you know, we really try to bake in that, that opportunity for growth. And we talk a lot about, we're a very open company. We're super, super transparent and basically everything with our team both the good and the bad and we try to talk a lot about equity one of the first discussions we have with anyone who joins our team is um you know this is the equity you, you're, you're being granted how much is it going to be worth if we're you know if we're the size of atlassian if we're the size of canva if we go to the size of culture amp you know what is what is going to be the financial outcome for you to help them to understand um that you know they're an actual owner you know try to get them over all those the lack of understanding that i had at atlassian where i was like oh i've got this equity that's cool we actually try to make sure that our team understands that they actually genuinely own a piece of this cake um and it's you know it's up to them to make it as successful as possible because they're going to get the financial reward at the end of it mate i couldn't have asked for a better little segment there i was just about to ask about kind oh. <laughs> and the culture and leadership and like it's incredible you just like smashed that section i, I just love hearing that i feel like you really excel with the way you think about the world the way you think about people and teams and it is all about people it is all about doing great mm -hmm. things with, with great people and and doing something meaningful together i mean that's sort of how i would normally describe it i think you described it much better um and and you know we talk so much about a cake and startup equity matters. A big part of our mission here is really trying to help people understand what, mm. what is equity really worth? I mean, worst case scenario, you've got 10% of your company goes out the door, which could be worth, you know, hundreds, millions of dollars down the track and you're getting very little value from it other than like a party at the end, you know, like you want to be attracting better talent, engaging yeah. and retaining them better. And, and just, just having a better feeling and culture within the company that we're all in this together and we're all going yeah. on this journey together. And if we succeed, we all succeed. You know, the rules of the plan are balanced so that if the founders succeed, the team succeed. You know, it's not that like, oh, you know, the founder can sell his shares and you're going to be like left on the, on the scrap heap or what have you. So I absolutely love, you know, hearing how you've taken all those learnings and and leadership and culture from your career and and bringing that into kind that's super super cool um so i guess you just answered like so many of my questions Sorry, jumped ahead <laughs> no it's awesome i'm just thinking like how you know how do we now just extract out a little bit more like detail about some of the actions and processes and systems that you use mm -hmm. at kind to practically implement this great vision and culture so how do you, you know, so what do you do when you're hiring perhaps or, mm -hmm. um, you know, what do you do with your all hands or, you know, how are you currently communicating with your team to, you know, build your culture and generate value from your equity? So we, 
you know, employee experience and culture are things that have to be very deliberately designed. They don't just happen by accident. You can try leave them up to accident, and a lot of companies are really great by leaving things like that up to accident. But I really am a big believer that that you start by intentionally crafting that culture. I think this is just my design background, and so when I think <laughs> about anything, I think about it from a everything design is design. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I everything totally is design, agree. right? And I think that the, the the greatest company leaders in the world have fundamentally been at their hearts designers. You know, Steve Jobs was a designer. You can he could have whatever title he had, but his his ultimate job was to be the architect, the designer of Apple Computer. And and likewise I see my role as kind of designing the experience of the people who work for for, for Kind. A lot of them are going to spend their entire careers hopefully working for Kind. We want to make sure that they have a really great experience and it's aligned to the values of the company that we're trying to build. And so before we actually ever hired a single person, before we had um, basically even written a single line of the kind product, we had values. Um, and those values were, you know, you have, you have a choice when you're building a company. You can, you can, the standard way is you go, you start your company, you hire a bunch of people. Um, and a few years down the line, you, you kind of, you, you hire people typically who you want to have a beer with or who kind of look like you <laughs> and, and who you kind of want to work with. Right? I totally agree. Absolutely. That's what everyone does. <laughs> and, and so, at, and, and to me, you're kind of leaving your, your culture and your values up to, up to the toss of a coin, right? It's just totally chance where, whether they will be successful. And then at some point during that journey, you go and you say, well, we have a bunch of people who feel like they represent us and what we want to be. And you try to codify those learnings into a set of values. And so you go and you write this fancy set of values that's based on what you've learned from the people that you have working there. We said, that seems crazy. We don't want to play Russian roulette with our own values. We don't want to play Russian roulette with the culture that we're creating. Let's go and deliberately craft this. And so we had those values from the from day one. And those values were an attempt to say, this is the company that we want to become. This is These are the people that we want to have working here and the things we want them to aspire to achieve. And so we use every one of those values. Every single person who joins the company goes to a values interview because we think it's so important um, that they are aligned to the way we see the world and the things that we want to be. And values are really important. A lot of people think of them as as um as basically, you know, just a just a, a concept for making everybody a management feel good. Whereas uh, you know, they're platitudes largely. And a lot of values are platitudes. Whereas we said every one of our values, it in another company, it could be something that they don't necessarily want to be. Um and yeah. and so you know I think it exist- should be like a filtering process when you're hiring. Like when you say your values when you're hiring, it should force some people to not apply, I think. And you exactly don't want to be exclusive right. per se. Well, you are being yes. by definition exclusive, but it's not like non-diverse exclusivity. It's just like these are the things we believe in. Yeah. You no, know, this is how we're going to behave. This isn't a joke. Like when exactly you come right. in, this yeah. is how we're going to be behaving. Yeah. And so 100%. don't be surprised if, you know, this is what we do because we mean these things. Yeah. Totally. We have a value human kindness, general manners. And I'd say that's like the pervading one that you can see reflected in the human beings that work at kind. Um, they just embody that value. And so it means, you know, when, other organizations, you'd have politicians, you'd have people who are, you know, just trying to get their their piece of the cake. Um, we actually uh, have a, a group of people who are there to support each other, to help each other grow, to to show human kindness and gentleness to each other. And I think it's just having that in place really makes a big, mm. big difference. And, and then, so I guess, and so ownership was a big part of the, I guess, the 
the culture and the values of the, of the company and and that's sort of the absolutely. key to how it's then become like a successful part of their business uh, absolutely yeah. so ownership is baked into our values you know a bigger pie but it's also just something that we discussed very early on so before anyone joins we sit down with them and have a conversation about what their equity is going to be worth make sure they understand what equity equity is and i often take them to a little bit of kind of my backstory to help them understand you know i've done really well out of atlassian and shopify uh, and i want that same opportunity uh-huh. and i want you to own it i love that we we've got i think we've got atlassian in cake so we in cake we've got a feature nice. that, where you can say how many options you've got and then you can say like which company do you want to peg yourself against i'm pretty yeah. sure i got Atlassian in there i think we might even have shopify in there as well yeah. but um i wish i was actually from those companies because when i'm hiring my my pitch about equity value creation would be a lot more real <laughs> Yeah, It'd be I mean, hard for yes. them to look at you and go, "Oh no, this is this can never happen because you're living proof." So that's pretty cool. Yes, it, it does happen. It doesn't happen often. No, but I think what's so important is um, that your know, people understand that they have the opportunity to make it. And and you know, if you think about driving people to be highly motivated, to be engaged. There's no better way than saying to them, "You own this company." If you're looking for, you know, if you're climbing Everest. You don't want people who are focused on the hot on the hot chocolate stand. You want people who are focused on getting to the top of Everest. You want people to be focused on the top of Everest. You make sure that they own the expedition. Love it. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's made a huge difference for us. Our team understands ownership. It also changes the way they make decisions. If you think about, um, you know, decision, most decisions are made fairly selfishly. But when you are making a decision that will actually affect the outcome of the company and that outcome is yours, you're going to make decisions that actually suit the outcome of the company. Love it. Especially if you've got visibility and you can see where the company's at, where it's going, and you've got these touch points and it's really real, then you can make those decisions because mm-hmm. you can sort of see in your own mind how you're able to to, to impact those outcomes. So, yeah. look, absolutely fantastic. I feel like um. You, you've got more um, passion and awareness about this stuff than I do. So thanks so much oh, for, enough, yeah. for joining and sharing. Well, what, whichever way it is, you're you're an absolute gun at this. And so I'm so appreciative. Uh, and I'm just really, really grateful that you've come on to share with, with everyone your insights. Um, that's so valuable. So look, in the interest of, of time, unfortunately, I have to um, jump on to the final question. We always finish with, um, you know, a creative, healthy lifestyle question. We're big advocates at Cake that, you know, your health and your mental health mm-hmm. is is a great framework for creativity and success and and tackling these tremendous challenges that we have in, in innovation, which sometimes do feel like climbing Everest. So, you know, how, how do you relate to that concept and, and you know, what, what sort of insights or, or habits are you able to share with, with everyone around around that? I mean, as a founder, I think every founder knows this. It's incredibly hard to keep healthy. Um, it, it, it has to be a deliberate intent thing. And, and it really has taken me the longest time as a founder to to try and, you know, to actively invest in my health and, and you know, through, through exercise and, and trying to improve my diet and things like that. But I think that one of the things that, you know, if you think about it, it's not just me, it's it's my team as well. It's all the people who work for Kind who, who give their lives towards it as well. Um, and so we try to make sure that that baked into the culture of the company is is uh, an allowance to not take life too seriously. And so our, our sixth value, probably the most important one is stay foolish. We talk about that at every single all hands every Friday. Um, it's just a reminder that if we're doing this and we're not having fun, 
then why the hell are we doing it? Because life's just going to be a pretty shitty place to be. Um, and 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 so stay foolish, I think, is just such a great reminder for me every single, you know, every time I look at our values, every time uh, we have our all hands and, and we talk about that, just such an important reminder to me to like not take life too seriously. Mm. Um, because if you get too in your own head, if you get too focused on on negativity, you're never going to build something great. And, you know, you have to, when you're building a company, you have to have the most crazy outlandish delusional people along with you for the <laughs> journey because who the hell else is going to go and do it um and so you know staying foolish i think is is just a big big key part to that Love coming at life with optimism and naivety and trying things that nobody's ever tried to do before because that's what we're doing in this time absolutely love that i couldn't agree more um thank you so much for sharing so ross Really grateful for your time today. Um, you're, you're an incredibly successful guy. Um, you know, you've, you've got a fantastic new company, Kind, on the go. Um, look, I, I'm sure you've all got great value out of that. You know, for, for engineers and CTOs and founders out there, definitely check out Kind. You know, it seems like you're going to have a great product with Ross and his team behind it. Um, I think we're going to look at cake making I am an owner shirts. I don't know if I have to check with uh, the Atlassian guys to see if they're happy for us to to borrow or steal that because I think that's just such a great t-shirt idea. idea. And another little insight I had, because this is for employees as well, and not that I'm advocating people changing jobs necessarily. I'm not trying to talk them into changing jobs, but think about, you know, maybe there are some listed companies or companies in general that you really, really believe in. Their equity is probably going to be priced you know, much lower than it was a few years ago. And so look for great founders like Ross with great employee ownership culture where you know that if you can all work together and build a great company, you can come off this low share price and really benefit in in that upside. So um, hopefully, you know, that's just a nice little takeaway to finish on. Thank you, Ross. Thanks for joining. Anytime. It's great to chat. Thank you, Jason. Stay foolish out there. Stay foolish. (laughs)